your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brittle. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Dr. Julian Dalby, co-founder of McGregorFast.com, is an exercise physiologist with more than 20 years experience in elite sports. He's also a fully qualified medical doctor, providing support to the UFC and other mixed martial arts organizations. He's a former Irish Olympic cycling team member and a world record holder in deadlifting, who now trains some of the best professional athletes in the world, including UFC world champion Conor McGregor. In this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show podcast, Anthony and Dr. Dalby discuss his background and how he transitioned from being a cycling champion to training some of the best professional athletes in the world. Some of the techniques he employs personally and with elite athletes to optimize energy and focus and maintain youthful vitality. Some of the highest leverage things you can use right now to improve cardiovascular conditioning and athletic performance and his current weekly training schedule. We even discuss some of the habits and routine of elite professional athletes that Dr. Dalby has worked with. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy Anthony's conversation with Dr. Julian Dalby. Hey everyone, I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. Julian, thank you for, for joining me. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a very busy man. Let's start with with sharing the story about how you became uh, a, a cycling champion and then how you transitioned into where you are today, working with some of the best athletes in the world to take their conditioning to the next level. Well, sometimes I think that the sport chooses you rather than the other way around. Um, my family, my older brothers, my father, they were all bike racers. And when I was in school, there were two twins and they were both swimmers. And I was always very impressed that they would train twice a day. They were national level swimmers. So I, I wanted to be a swimmer and I, I tried swimming, but it just never happened. I just wasn't, uh, you know, didn't have the, the right genetics for it. But the bike riding, that one always came natural to me. We'd have bike races as kids and I would always win. I never really gave it any thought. I just thought, oh, well, I want to be a swimmer. I don't want to be a bike racer. <laughs> but at the bike racing, I guess, you know, it filtered me out. I got a pat on the back for winning bike races. So I continued on with that. So, yeah, I was cycling since, um, you know, competitively since I was uh, 12 years old. And how did, when did you become a, a national champion? I think I was 23, but uh, I was riding international level races as an underage. At like 15 and 16, I, I, I started on the international circuit. And what specifically, what type of bike racing for the, for the listeners, uh, what, what type of race did you engage in? The, the racing that I did was road racing. So this is the, the longer distance stuff that's done in a group. So it's just first over the finish line that wins but 
I also did the track racing. That's the one in the velodrome. And really, that's where my talent would have been at. I probably would have gone further, but most of the most of the international teams, the the money, the the glory was in road racing. So, I I tried more at road racing than track racing, even though you know it was pr- physiologically I'm more suited as a track racer. Yeah, you gotta gotta pay the bills too while you're having fun. <laughs> Did you compete in the Tour de France? No, I've competed in the, in the Tour de l'Avenir or the Tour of Europe, but not the Tour de, Tour de France. That's, uh, it, it requires a, a qualifying for that. Okay, cool, cool. And then fast forward to today, how did you, how did you get into training athletes like uh, UFC featherweight champion Conor McGregor and, and some of the high-level, high-profile people you've been working with today? Well, my interest was always in physiology and health and the performance. I mean, just like some guys like to tune an engine, I was trying to tune a body to make it go as fast as it could. So I used to read up on medical stuff as well. And after the Barcelona Olympics, I thought I'd go to, to medical school. So I went back to to college did the qualifications to get into medical school and uh graduated um in the year 2000 i commend you on on going back and doing that there's not a lot of people that would uh that would have the courage to do that well it's actually a lot of fun because if you're a little older than the others you've already seen all the situations and you have cool lines when you're when you're a little older than the other kids. <laughs> it's not your first rodeo. <laughs> no, it's not my first rodeo. So you always perform better the second time around. <laughs> walk walk me through how um, how you were approached, uh, how you were engaged to help Conor McGregor prepare for his rematch for UFC 202. We uh, for for people that are fans of mixed martial arts. Uh, he he had some problems with cardio the first fight. He was expecting a knockout that had gone similar to his other ones. And then when that didn't happen, he gassed. Um, take us from that point, or did you know him before that point, or was it after that he sought you out and said, all right, help help me for this rematch? Well, part of the, of the, the medical work that I do is working in ERs as an emergency department doctor. And I also do the ring doctor. That's the guy that um, does the pre-fight medicals and is there on standby at the ringside for boxing and mixed martial arts events. So I was familiar with um, with Conor McGregor from um, from my work as as an ER doctor. And when he did suffer that loss, which was a bit of a, a shock loss. Um, Multiple things, I suppose, contributed to it. One, he'd been getting like easy knockouts before. He was also, he had a little knee injury that prevented him from doing some of his endurance training. And then he became very caught up in the media circus and promotion for the UFC. He did a, an awful lot of uh, work for them in that area. So his cardio suffered as a result of that. And after that event uh, last March, um, it it was known by his his, uh, head coach at the time, John Kavanagh, 
that uh, I had been a competitive cyclist. So I suppose cycling being one of the more high-tech sports, that's uh, it's quite avant-garde in, in how it approaches um, physiology, partly because the limitation, unlike a, a race car, you only have a few watts to, to deal with. So you got to make the absolute most of those. So I guess cycling is quite a, a good sport to come in from, from a, a cardiovascular standpoint. So I, I started them um, last April working with Connor, and he's been a, an exceptional athlete to work with. In, in terms of cardiovascular conditioning, what are some of the mistakes that you see even in world-class athletes? Um, I suppose one of them is um, not recovering fully between, uh, particularly in, in elite and world-class athletes. They tend to be very um, driven, very focused. Um, Conor McGregor, he, he's a perfect ex example. Uh, he's a man possessed and left to his own devices, he will train himself into oblivion um, and overtrain which means that he, he isn't really able to give full intensity when he's on and he's not fully recovering when he's off. So this was something that we had to address with him just to prevent him self-destructing, basically. And to do that, do you use heart rate variability? Are, are you checking resting pulse rate? Are you seeing if, if the athlete has, if it's a male, an erection in the morning? What type of metrics are you relying upon? Well, yeah, we do the heart rate variability, the uh, resting heart rate. I haven't actually checked yet for erections, but uh, <laughs> I make a mental note of that one. Uh, but also, if you're, if you're around um, training with somebody, you get to know them, their little habits if they start irritability when they're starting to overtrain, um, maybe pickiness on, on food choices, things like that, they're, they're, they're signs of, of overtraining that they're probably more obvious to a coach than, than they are to the individual themselves. Can we, you mentioned a couple, are you able to, to dig into some more of those so that maybe someone listening, whether they're a professional athlete or, or an entrepreneur, um, may be able to recognize perhaps I'm perhaps I am overtraining um, I mean, some of the some of the more yeah obviously the elevated heart rate in the morning um, I mean that's that's a very simple and basic one I mean just generally how you feel um, insomnia ironically can be a, a symptom as well Um just noticing, maybe other people notice that you're a little snappy or a little more irritable than usual. And these, these would all be signs that you might be overtraining. In, and, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it, it, overtraining, I mean, it can be done in a surprisingly short period of time. I mean, somebody that's training intensely, um, even in maybe like 15 minutes of intense, very intense training, like an elite athlete um, might do, even that could lead to overtraining. It's not necessarily big volume of training. Yeah, it's. I have very limited MMA experience. It's mostly just for fun, clowning around every now and then, and, and because it's it's a workout that I kind of enjoy. 
And uh, my business partner was an all-American wrestler. He took second in the country in high school. And we'll like when I'm when I'm out there to work on projects, we'll work out in the morning and then we'll end the workout. He's got uh, a full on Olympic wrestling mat in his in his gym and we'll wrestle. And like two minutes into grappling with him and I feel like I, I could run for an hour at a at a good clip and be fine. Two minutes into wrestling, another two hundred and ten pound man, and I'm like, I feel like my heart's gonna come out of my chest, and my my arms are so engorged with blood that they're no longer functioning. It's just a different animal. It, it is. Uh, I think it's something very primordial. Um, I mean, the, it's the most basic of all sports, I guess. I mean, everything. It doesn't matter if it's a football match, cricket tennis whatever it nearly always ends up in a big scrap at the end of something if there's an argument <laughs> so i i think that particularly if it's something you do on an irregular basis um you'll, you'll have very high adrenaline levels going in even before you've started and i think it's very easy to um to get caught up in it it's one of the one of the things that i do notice um when i do the the pre-fight medicals for um, for boxers and other combat sports. The more experienced guys at the pre-fight medical always have a much lower heart rate. The the guys who it's, if it's their first fight or they haven't had much experience, they'll they'll have like noticeably high heart rates, which is obviously quite taxing on the organism. Um, they haven't even started the fight and already their hearts racing maybe like for hours beforehand yeah i can imagine so you're you're using heart rate variability for someone that for someone that is relatively inexperienced using heart rate variability that, that's listening how how can that tool be used for them to ensure that they are properly recovering what are they looking for what types of of numbers are you know quote unquote good or hey you still need to recover um what are some of the metrics yeah, but for elite athletes, the evidence is that heart rate variability may not be such a, a good guide. So for for me, it's not one that I would rely on. I mean, it's one of the ones maybe just take it in context. But I think there's, there are others, other indicators that are probably more sensitive indicators than the, the heart rate variability. Um, it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's an accessory, and particularly for um, novice athletes, and a lot of it you'll find it as a function on a lot of the like the heart rate monitors. But for the, the 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 more elite you are, probably the less useful it becomes. Sure. So what what are you looking for? What do you put more stock in? Um, generally, just how the the elite athlete performs um, during training is I mean that's probably the the best indicator I mean if you know the individual as a coach you'll just know how they react to the training if they're if they're feeling you know if they're delaying just dragging their heels a little <laughs> and not that enthusiastic to go training um, even one of the things is, is starting to doubt the the coach um, it's that's a recognised symptom of overtraining, lack of faith. They start to have uh, self-doubt, or whether it's all worthwhile, or if they're going anywhere. 
So the, as a coach, you have to take everything in in context rather than just a, a word. doesn't mean much on its own, but a group of words in a sentence means something. It's interesting because a lot of a lot of us, when we're whether we're in pursuit of improved cardiovascular conditioning, six pack abs, weight loss, whatever it is, have those periods where there that doubt creeps in, and you're wondering if it's working. If, if you know you hit a plateau and you kind of lose a little bit of that faith, uh, how do you handle those situations? Well, the the way that we would do that is we would schedule fixed recovery periods now whether whether the athlete feels like it or not these these are, are brought in it's, it's structured in advance so obviously for the training effect to work you have to stress the organism above and beyond and then it recovers and then hopefully you'll you'll the next training session you'll step it up but at some point you have to allow for for more complete recovery so what we use is the, the mesocycle concept where every, approximately every four weeks or so, we'll schedule um, a, a, a more of a recovery week to back off. Now, there is a price to pay for this. When you come back in after that recovery week, you got to train harder than before. So it's not all, it's not all freebies. <laughs> so is it it's four weeks on one week off or it's three weeks well, on one a, week off approx approximately i mean the, there isn't um really a, a fixed period for the, the for the mesocycle i mean i think it's it's something that's neglected by a lot of people most people are familiar with the circadian rhythm, the 24-hour daily rhythm that that we all adhere to but, um, I mean, there is an approximate monthly cycle. I guess women are more in tune than us guys are to that one. Um, like a lot of sea creatures, again, a very primordial thing. At the full moon, a lot of sea creatures will just come up to spawn or come up on the beach for the high tides. So it's a thing that's been going on for eons. So I can kind of see why there, there maybe is... Uh, you know, like a cycle approximately four weeks as well that's built into us from, you know, very primitive times. Yeah, there's there's definitely more to the those those cycles than many uh, scientists and, and even modern day physicians are willing to recognize. Um, I mean, you have it, it's it's fairly well known with farmers that the best time to deworm your cattle is during a full moon or at least like around a full moon oh. and um and the same is true for humans they found that humans that are dealing with parasitic infections it's best to start the anti-parasitic herbs or prescription medications on a full moon it, it, when when the activity of those uh pathogens is highest that's very interesting. It sounds like lunacy, but uh, yeah, it sounds it sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> like uh, what lunacy was, it was from the full moon. Right. Yeah. Oh, there you go. It all comes full circle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a bit like Gremlins, like the the the, the don't feed the mogwais after midnight. <laughs> um, so let's say hypothetically, you're you're uh, an MMA athlete comes to you and they say, um, I, I need to improve my cardiovascular conditioning. Do you, do you 
first look at what they're doing and then build a program accordingly? Or do you have a structure that you know will work well for most organisms and you um, move them into that template and then make adjustments based on their ability levels? Well, the first thing I do is have an overall look at what they're doing for training. Um, I mean, MMIA, it's, it's a relatively new sport and it's still evolving. It's not like, let's say, cycling that has a, you know, 100 plus years of, of heritage behind it or, or regular boxing, for example. So a lot of the guys, they're, they're, they're not quite as, as tech savvy or as training savvy as, as they would be in other sports. So after first seeing what, what the, the MMA fighter is doing, the next thing that I would do is a series of tests just to see what their baseline is. These would be things like, like lung capacities, um, VO2 max testing, um, what their, their blood lactate profiles, just a series of tests to see where they're, just approximately where they're at. Are those tests that um, a layperson can do or do you need specific uh, medical clearance and devices? Well, it's more, it's more that you do need some, some lab facilities. They're not the type of thing that you would do in your, your own bedroom. Um, for example, VO2 max it involves gas analysis. The equipment's quite costly. The same, depending on which country you're in, um, certain people may or may not be allowed to take blood samples for lactate analysis. Even though you, you can buy quite cheaply now portable lactate monitors, they maybe run $400 or so. And you, you, you can do this yourself or if you have somebody that um, has a, a little bit of medical knowledge is able to take those and run those tests. Sure. So do you have any, uh, this, is, this is fascinating, if someone wanted to do like a poor man's conditioning assessment or fit test, um, what, would, what would you recommend? Um, Say they guess, have access to treadmill, row machine, uh, stationary bike, elliptical, the, the standard gym stuff. Yeah, I mean, they, they could... Um, I mean, there are, there are other ways around it that, that will give you approximates just to put you in the, the, the zones. Um, I'm actually uh, launching um, an online program um, that, that will do that. So I, yeah, you can check this space. It'll be out within a month. Fantastic. What's, what site's that going to be? It's going to be through the, the maclife.com. That's... Uh, Conor McGregor's own lifestyle website, and it's called the Fast Training System, Fighter Aerobic Anaerobic System of Training. And this will allow you to get the zones that are most efficient for you to train at, that will give you the most bang for your buck. And you will be able to do this from your your own um, facility without using a lab. And it'll get, it's a pretty good approximation of what training zones you should be in. Oh, that's great. I'm excited. See, I didn't even know that you, you guys were working on that. Yeah, it's, 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 we're, we're, we're furiously working on it at the moment. <laughs> what does, is Connor's involved, he's working on that too? 
Connor is also he, he was very impressed with the the gains that he made himself and the improvements. So yeah, he's he's in on it too. So he'll be uh, endorsing it and he'll be appearing in in the videos for it. Do you do you make Connor sleep? Do I make him sleep? Uh, I, I actually do my best, but as I said, he's he's a man possessed. I mean, he he will. He's, he's manic. It's it's a job to get him to sleep. It's a job to get him to rest. <laughs> How much does he sleep per night? Um, I suppose he maybe eight hours, ten ten hours on a good day. But he's just so excited. He's just so full of the joys of life. He's like a kid that you know, it's hard to get him to sleep. But when he's asleep, he sleeps soundly. <laughs> he's just too excited <laughs> he just wants to do more and more and more yeah that, that's great that's great um what does your weekly training schedule look like now um i'm no longer competitive so i mean i'll do a, a little of of multiple general fitness training so i will do some um resistance weight training um, I will do some very high intensity, like the hit style training, with uh, short breaks between. So most of my training now is um, intensity based, and then maybe every two weeks or so I will do um, some sort of endurance training just to keep the the enzyme induction going. So it seems to seems to keep me ticking over. How how do you approach your weight training? How many days a week? What is is it is it super slow training? Is it the you know straight sets? What 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 do you typically default to? Um, mostly, I'll I'll do uh, straight sets. Um, I, I'll put on as much as I think I can lift, then add some more, and then try. <laughs> <laughs> and how and what rep range are we working in? Um, and like the bulk of my training would probably be based around four or five reps. Four or five. So people, uh, a lot of people, like they're they're surprised at that. Um, but I mean, it's I would say for the bulk of people that go to gyms, for all the millions upon millions of man hours that are lost by people going to gyms around the world. The single thing that they miss about resistance training is the resistance part. There's a reason why they're called weights because they weigh. They're supposed to be heavy. <laughs> I, I, I think I think that may be the quote of the podcast. Yeah, well, it, it, but it, it's just it's just so true. I mean, it, it surprises me when I look at humanity. Like these same guys, if you try to cheat them on on the stock exchange, they're very bright. They're very quick to see the patterns. But they will go for years and years, and they will train in a gym. They'll maybe four or five days a week. After five years, they've they've made no, virtually no gains in body mass, no gains in strength. And I would kind of say, like, why don't you just reassess your whole situation? Just take a week off, sit back, and think, where am I going? What am I doing all this for? And reassess the whole situation. Yeah, that's that's great advice and something that I see all the time is well, you, you you touched on the weight part. I think the the other part that I'd like to address is that the high intensity interval training what's missing is the intensity. 
and, 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 and the it, eye in in hit training. Yeah, it's missing the eye. It's the, the weight in weight training. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of a vital part. Yeah, the key is yeah. in the, the key is in the name. Absolutely, Absolutely. and so many people so are mistakenly are doing this. Doing Cardiovascular style training. I've got a little yeah, bit of feedback. Personally, going. I blame the iPod. <laughs> <laughs> they spend too much time twiddling around with their iPod trying to find the correct tune, are too worried that their earphones are going to fall out to to go berserk. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's definitely it's definitely playing a role. And and I'll ask people, you know, what what they what workouts they've been doing. They're like, oh, I've been really focused on the high intensity interval training. But then when you actually work out with them, it's it's like a it's start. They're having a full conversation in the middle of it all. Yes, yes. I'm crying out for dear life. I don't think I'm going to live to see the light of day. Yes. <laughs> These guys, what are you here for? Like the social outing? Yeah, exactly. It's it's like starting and stopping a cardiovascular workout. They're jogging and then they're walking and then they're jogging and they're walking, which which defies the entire physiological adaptations that we're trying to uh, put upon the body. Yeah, I, I mean – there are people that I see will get results, but they're generally guys on steroids. Um, I mean, if you're drug-free, I mean, that's that's what it takes. Um, the, in clinical trials, it, it's found that you don't get any any gains in, in muscle hypertrophy below about 80% if you're one rep max. And few people even know what their one rep max is. And I think this is even more particularly true for women. Um it's not considered ladylike to to grunt or to go red in the face. Uh, I think like women physiologically, their muscle will respond identically to male muscle with the same stimulus. But you'll rarely see women that that do that type of intensity uh, or will train heavy. I mean, I think they would be stared at. There's a certain group psyche that you'll get in the gym, and if one woman starts like loading on the plates to actually change the shape of her body the other women will kind of like look at her with, in a strange way so everybody tends to learn from each other and do much the same thing as everybody around them does right and i think so many women are unfortunately afraid of they see pictures of other females and particularly female bodybuilders that are on testosterone and these uh, and, and steroids, and they think that that is what happens if you lift heavy. Yeah, I, I've yet to meet a woman that wasn't on steroids that quit the gym because she got too big. <laughs> it never, ever happened. I've met so many women that have quit training because they they just didn't make, make any changes. They didn't get anywhere. It's 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 a great point. Yeah, uh, such a such a truth. If you were to put just, together, just as a little aside there, yeah, um, yeah. As part of my, my medical training, I, I worked for the for the World Health Organization doing some research on um, lymphatic filariasis. That's that's a parasitic worm that it causes like the the elephantitis in the legs. And this was in Guyana, and there was a, a local gym there. There was, there was only one gym around in the, in the whole town. And the guy had made it using industrial equipment. There were like huge cog wheels and axles out of trucks and, and stuff like that. There was nothing, all the, the dumbbells, the smallest dumbbells were probably about 80 kilos. Everything, you couldn't adjust them. You couldn't make anything lighter. So you either lifted this stuff or you didn't lift this stuff. 
And everybody that had trained there had got results. Um, and I know that these guys weren't on steroids for the simple reason that they were broke. None of them could afford it. Um, and it was just the fact that you just had to lift it or else go fishing or take up another sport. So they were forced into the heavy lifting. That's a great story. <laughs> Julian, if you were to put together a, um, I, I'd love for, well, our listeners, but selfishly myself as well, I'd love to try some of the the workouts that you feel would be really beneficial for um, for anyone that is you know whether it's it's an entrepreneur, a high level executive, um, a, an athlete um, that a, a workout that will have the type of positive adaptations we're looking for in terms of increasing lifespan and health span, uh, improving body composition. What what are some of your what you consider to be the best overall workouts that someone listening would be able to go to the gym and try if they have a treadmill or weights or even no weight? Well, just first um, off, I, I don't quite agree with you that it's necessarily good for longevity. Um, intense tr- training is probably not the healthiest thing that you can do if you want to live for a long time. Uh, just intense training produces more free radicals, more free radicals, more more damage. Um, if you just look around the world at the people that tend to live long, the things they have in common is they tend to have a, a relatively, um, I wouldn't say sedentary, but they have a, like a somewhat relaxed life and they tend to be semi-starved. So these same people, they, they will often have, like, they'll be um, very thin and live a quiet lifestyle. The old man that carries a, a bundle of sticks up to the top of the hill every day for his daily exercise, yeah. that's the type of guy that will live long. It's not, it's not the, you know, the, the raging um, you know, guy that has, like, a, a low body fat and a, and a high muscle mass. I mean, statistically, those guys may not live quite as long um, but I suppose it's a, it's a question of horses for courses sports are very specific training is very specific often if you make gains in one area like endurance it'll take away from other areas an example would be marathon runners elite marathon runners often when they stop training they'll increase their vertical jump test that, that's, which is a very good general indicator of power just how high you can, you can jump to simply because when they stop training, they get less fiber conversion to the, the slow twitch fibers. Their, their power will increase. So there is no universal training and, and that will make you live longer, more stronger and more endurance. It's unfortunate, but I don't believe that it, it actually exists. Yeah, that, that is a good point. When you look at when you look at some of the blue zones and the people, the longest living people around the world, it's it's people that spend a lot of time outside and garden and probably yeah. are more prone to, uh, you know, they, they have lower appetite levels. So they almost, it's more easy, it's easier for them to, uh, in some ways, restrict their calories and, and reap the benefits of of caloric restriction. That, yeah, it's a good point. 
Well, if you're gardening and you have to wait for the peas to come around, well, you're going to get pretty hungry, really. <laughs> yeah, and uh, right. But it's one of the things that works for virtually all all animals. If you want to extend their lifespan, you starve them. Yeah, uh, it's a significant uh, factor in in longevity. But then I suppose it comes down to it. I mean, you you can burn long and slow or short and fast. Personally, I'd rather the uh, the short and fast. <laughs> yeah, if if for no other reason than you're uh, freeing up time for other activities. Exactly. And um, so, what would be one of those short and fast type workouts that that you would recommend our, our, our listeners try, or even someone like myself try? Um, it, depending on what you have access to. Um, if somebody, if they're not training for a specific sport and they just want general good conditioning and, and maybe want to for their appearance, which is um, tends to be one that a lot of people won't actually admit to, but probably the bulk of people that aren't training for a particular sport, it's uh, appearance is the number one reason that they train. Mm -hmm. So for, for that, probably something where, where you find an exercise that you like are a form of exercise equipment and um, could be a treadmill it could be a rowing machine could be a weight circuit and you you, you do your your circuit with uh, with gusto and short recovery time between the sets um, I, th I think one of the things that a lot of people do is they they tend to extend that recovery time a little too long do you do you have a default? work rest period that you use yourself is it like 30 seconds on 30 seconds off or more well, tabata 20 and 10 yeah to the, the well the, the, that the tabata has, has been proven to, to to work but i mean obviously again it comes back to the horses for courses if if i'm lifting heavy um heavy sets for power um i'm gonna have to leave like much longer recovery between so depending on, on what the actual training on that day is, if what, what the training goal is, it'll depend on what the recovery time is. Sure. Someone listening that wants to improve their endurance and you, you can address what are, what are the highest leverage changes that that person could make? And just to take a step back and give a little context, I had wondered if, you know, going into, um, I think it was UFC 196, if, if, please correct me if I'm wrong, when, when Connor and Nate fought the first time, it, I know Connor was eating a lot and, you know, so kind of doing the opposite of that caloric restriction that we just, that we just mentioned, um, lots of red meat and steaks. And, um, and, and while there are many benefits like, you know, the healthy fats and conjugated linoleic acid, especially if those steaks are, are grass fed, it seems like a diet that is very high in red meat and some of those, those more inflammatory foods can have an adverse effect on cardiovascular conditioning. So if you have someone and they, and they want to improve their conditioning, what are the highest leverage things that you look at and possibly change? Okay, well, first off, it's, um, I think it's actually simpler th than that. Um, if we take the example of, of Connor when he went into that, that, that fight that you referenced to, 
you can't make sudden gains. You can't become a larger man in, in a very short period of time. So the, the extra weight is going to be gained as, as body fat. Now, if you want to increase your VO2 max, the amount of oxygen you can uptake per kilo, you don't want to have any extra body fat. Oxygen, fat has a, a, a metabolic demand just like any other living tissue. So a kilogram of fat needs oxygen, and that's oxygen that could be going to working muscle. So by, by putting on body fat, you may be doing yourself a disservice. Um, although in combat sports, it tends to be associated with a, as an advantage. The heavier you are, the better, but it's not always the case. Um, secondly, when you say endurance, there's, there's different forms of endurance. The endurance that would be required for something like um, MMA or, or combat sports, it's typically a, a series of anaerobic bursts. So it, it, the endurance isn't the same as, let's say, somebody that wants to run a 10-kilometer race who wants to have a continuous power output for that 10 kilometers it's not quite the same as the endurance of, of multiple anaerobic bursts. So there, there are different different forms of endurance. And they, again, they tend to be specific for whatever the task is that you want to do. Yeah, that, that, that does make sense. And that's a good point to bring up um, because endurance and conditioning are not necessarily in interchangeable terms. No. Um, I saw an interesting workout where you had um, some of your athletes on an incline on a treadmill, and it, it was it was hard to determine what what you had going on in terms of intensity. And is there anything that you can disclose? Is that a workout that someone can replicate, even if it's just in, in generalities, if they want to push themselves and utilize running at an incline, what, what type of workout in that way do you feel is most beneficial for an everyday man or woman um, that wants to look better, have more energy and uh, more mental clarity? Yeah, I mean, I think that the particular workout that you're referencing, that is a, a more advanced workout. And in order to do that, it, it probably involves um, lactate profiling. So that that one, it's um, it, it's one that um, I'd rather you know, not disclose at the moment. That's kind of part of my secret sauce. <laughs> sure. Um, to, to maximize lactate levels. Um, it's a series, a series of different sets at, at different intensities and different time durations to, to maximize the, um, the tolerance for, for very high lactate levels. But for, for, the, for the typical um, weekend warrior or for, for, for non-professional sports people, um, I mean, uh, a, a treadmill workout that that uses um, the interval system is is it's a tried and, and tested way that will give a lot better results typically than running continuously at a, at a fixed pace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, will will that will those style workouts? Is that something that we'll be able to find on the MacLife.com with your your fast it training? It, it will be on on the fast training system. Yes. Oh, very cool. Um, 
Julian, let's talk about you. What are what are some of the things that that you do um, to increase your energy and focus? And I'll be more specific. We'll kind of go through some of the the different areas, and um, and, and you can maybe share the one thing that you that you think is that that you do that has had the the biggest impact on your conditioning, or what would be your one piece of advice for the people listening? If if there isn't something that immediately comes to mind for yourself, how does that sound? Um, yeah, the one that I would give them is simple: take naps. Simple take, as that. Take, take naps. Take naps. Yeah. Really. I wasn't yeah. expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds too good to be true, but uh, it'll make a huge difference um, for your growth hormone surge, for or your your mental sharpness. Um, I think it's like most most other mammals will take naps. The the concept of um, that we have now in the modern Western world of sleeping eight hours at night and then continuous. That's not universal, and it hasn't always been the case. I mean, the, a lot of parts of the world where, where they take the, the siesta, there's a good reason for that, because it's a system and it works. What do you see when you have an athlete that starts napping? What, what positive changes take place? Um, for most of the, the athletes that I work with, they will do um, a double split training session. So they're training in the, mo- in the mornings and then they're training during an evening training session as well. And that nap, it's, um, it's a, a critical to allow for the more recovery between so that you're able to train again intensely in the evening session. And how and long do you, do you recommend the nap? Well, it, it's, it's been shown that... Um, you can do it in as little as 20 minutes. So I'm not talking about people that um, that, that, that sleep for, for two hours. That's not napping. No, that's, that's being lazy. <laughs> A lot of people will tell me, oh, you know, when I take naps, I'm, I just get more tired. That's why I don't do it. And I don't really accept that. I think that the reason that these people are taking naps is they become so exhausted that they that they're they're forced into taking a nap, and it's 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 more of a, a case of the cart before the horse. They were so they were in a fatigue state anyway. They took the nap and they it's still they were still in a fatigue state. So they associate the naps with feeling tired. But if you have a, a reasonably good routine going, and you do take these short naps, now I'm talking about somewhere let's say between twenty minutes and forty five minutes. It's enough to get the, the, the right sleep patterns that will allow you to recover. It's also the time that you consolidate a lot of ideas and a lot of, a lot of memory storage. So not just for athletes. I would recommend this, let's say, for somebody, the college students. Um, if you want to remember stuff better and consolidate ideas and get big pictures, that's, it's a great idea to nap. We're not talking about partying all night as a typical student lifestyle. But <laughs> you got to get sleep in at night. You got to get the study in. But if you can, if you can take those naps, they will add to it. Yeah, that that is great advice. Um, and it's it's always interesting hearing about the high level athletes like you know like Connor, like LeBron, like uh, Roger Federer. These guys that you know, you said you said Connor a lot of times is around eight. 
you hear about LeBron being at 10, you hear about Federer being 10 to 12. And when, when someone, whether it's a, a, a businessman or otherwise, talks about that they're too busy to sleep that much, it's like, do you sleep? Do you think you're, you're busier than LeBron James? You think you're busier than than Conor McGregor? It's like that's how important sleep is. These 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 high level world class athletes are making that time for sleep. They're making time for naps. And and experts like you are saying, look, the the single best thing you could do is get a nap in. Um, but we have this this mental block, I think, where people see it as laziness. Yeah, Anthony. If I can just give you a very simple analogy, you have. Um you have a, a, a guy, he's working on a project, he needs to get the project finished. So he has his cordless drill. He can keep like plugging away with the cordless drill until the battery goes flat. But I mean, you're not gonna get the project finished any quicker. Sometimes you gotta like, you know, you gotta charge that drill. Uh, yeah, you can do something else while it's charging, but it, you're not going anywhere if, if you haven't got a full charge on. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great analogy. Um, I want to I want to be respectful of your time. You've already shared so many nuggets of, uh, of fantastic information. Um, oh, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> it's been a pleasure here as well. You're 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 really fun to talk to, um, Julian. What does the first ninety minutes of your day look like? Um, generally, when I wake up, um, I'll I'll lose a bit of weight. That's on the toilet seat. That's <laughs> the first thing I do. Uh, I tend to, you know, have, have a, a good appetite, um, you know, plenty of dietary fiber. So that's uh, that's top of my list of priorities when I wake up. Then getting a, a, a breakfast in, that's also um, quite high on my list of priorities. So I don't have a problem with a, a, like the high glycemic index foods early on in the day. So I'll often, if I'm going to have something like uh, like fruits or or cere- like cereals, things like that, that'll be often the thing that I'll have first thing. Um, I don't typically go into um, you know the lower glycemic index and the you know the the fats and the proteins as as much. I tend to keep my ratios a little more towards the carbohydrates and a little more towards the maybe the higher glycemic stuff. If I have to work or if I have something um, that doesn't allow me much time, then what I will typically do is I will make food the day before, the night before. I often liquidize it. This will have like maybe vegetables, whey protein, some fruit, stuff like that. And I'll eat, I'll drink that on the go, which is basically a full meal in liquid form. So that's usually what the, the first part of my day is. I check um, if I can. I, I just I s- scan through the news headlines. If there's a story that looks interesting or promising, I'll read it. But otherwise, I just skim. I just scan through the headlines. And what? Where does your workout fit into your day? That tends to be flexible. I mean, as I say, I'm no longer um, doing any sport competitively, so I, I will work that around. Depending on what the other, what what I have scheduled on that particular day, so that that's flexible for me. And what what time do you usually go to bed? What time do you wake up, on average? Um, maybe maybe midnight, and I might wake up at uh, eight. So, 
Very pretty, cool. Pretty typical schedule. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And I mean, every world class athlete that I talk to, you included, uh, is just reinforcing that I need to be more disciplined about consistently getting the sleep. I get it. I get it a good amount, but then, you know, the, the responsibilities creep in and I let them and I don't draw a line. And, uh, well, do. Um, we live in a, in a world which is a very high stimulus world. I mean, I, I guess previous generations didn't have so much going on. I think a lot of people, they've forgotten how to just sit on a wall or, or take some, take some time to just sit there and think. I mean, we're, we're constantly go, go, go. If you look at a lot of um, like rural folk or people in um, maybe like, like non-Western developed countries, they will have like a lot of downtime, times where they just sit there and do nothing or just mull things over. Whereas, I mean, there's so many people that, um, that live in the US and, and Europe and they, they just never have that downtime. They just go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. Have there been any changes that you've made in your own lifestyle in the past decade that have produced quantum improvements in your energy, your mental clarity, and you've found that when you uh, replicate those changes with athletes, it's it's also beneficial for them in similar ways? Um, I guess the, the, the structuring, just to try to have a, a long-term structure. I mean, like a, for an athlete, whatever, whether a competition event is, to try to schedule it in advance. I mean, what, what they sometimes call the, the macro cycle. That's the you know, leading up to wherever your competition day is or, or your, your big event, that you, you try to plot things out, the certain milestones that you're going to try and meet along the way rather than just being short-sighted and just training on a daily basis or even a, 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 a weekly basis and just going week to week. Try to have an idea where your end point is, where you need to be halfway to that end point and just do little checks along the way that you're meeting those milestones. Uh, it's, it's very good advice. It's, uh, it, it goes back to the Peter Drucker, what gets measured gets managed. And uh, just arbitrarily showing up to the gym and kind of doing what seems like a good idea that day versus training with a purpose, tracking, measuring, assessing your progress along the way and correcting course based on those data points that you collect. It's, it's a big difference. It is. And I mean, again, a lot of people don't apply that. They'll apply that in in, let's say in business, they will do audits and stuff like that, but they, it doesn't seem to occur to them to, to do that for their, for their fitness or for their health. To, to maximize energy and overall health, how many days a week do you recommend moving, training, exercising, whatever vernacular you, you like to use? Well, I think it's a case that there isn't um, one size fits all. So it depends it has to be specifically tailored to, to what you want. I mean, if you want to live a long time, yeah, be, become a gardener and have a, an easy life. If you want to be a, 
uh, MMA fighter, well, you're probably going to have to put up with um, some pretty intense training and the fact that um, your life expectancy may not be quite that of the gardener. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, last two questions. What are some hacks to recover faster and uh, better? Um, for I, w- I would say... Um, hydrating pretty quickly afterwards after a, a training session um, starting your training session when you're in a good hormonal milieu in other words there's no point getting up um, not having eaten not having um, recovered well if, if you're just training um, anxiety driven it's not really a good way to go Make sure that you're that you're in a fit state to train because you you'll only benefit if you're training a system that's that's in a, a fit state to take that training. Um, for, uh, for example, if you're if you're already fatigued, you may be better off taking that day off and vowing to come in the next day even harder. Yeah, that that is really good advice. One of my friends brought up an interesting point that. Watching TV is so commonly bashed in, in America as, as lazy and a waste of time and, and a brain-dead activity. And he's like, well, you can't just generalize and say that, that watching TV is that for everyone because it comes down to the purpose uh, behind the reason you're watching TV. Are you watching TV to uh, spend a little bit of time relaxing with someone that you love and share in a plot together and laugh and enjoy and talk about what's going on and 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 you know engage in conversation and use that as a time to like disengage from each other, give yourself a little bit of a break, but at the same time come closer together as a result of that shared experience and what you, you know, get to talk about afterwards? Or are you watching TV because you want you had a, a, a shitty day at work and you want to escape your life and turn your brain off for a little bit and just stare at the wall? It's like it's two very different scenarios. And I think it's the same way with training. Are you training with a purpose, like you said? Is are you measuring and tracking, or are you doing it out of anxiety and 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 uh, self loathing, or uh, <laughs> some other some other reason? Yeah, I think I've had enough um, punishment and and that in my past. I don't need any more uh, self loathing. Thank you. <laughs> I, I I could imagine. Last last question. Um, what what are your favorite supplements that you see yourself taking for the rest of your life or at least a, a good part of it? Um, cheap and cheerful. I'll usually take a, a multivitamin mineral. Um, whey protein, that, that can be a, a very useful uh, food as well. Um, a lot of the supplements... Um, don't quite live up to what they're they're billed for, and I, I think maybe one of the reasons for that is I mean, there's been a lot of years of evolution gone into producing a, a human organism to be very efficient. So, th- so there's a lot of things. If they had given a, a an evolutionary advantage, I think that we would have either learned to synthesize them ourselves in our, in our bodies. Um, or we would have found some other better source if they gave that such a big evolutionary 
um, advantage. We would have, you know, we would have sifted them out. So for a, a lot of, I'm not, um, I'm not a big believer in um, in a lot of supplements. Very good advice and an interesting evolutionary perspective. I like it. Uh, Julian, this has been a blast. Uh, you shared so much good stuff. I'm excited to re-listen to the episode and kind of uh, deconstruct and pull out some of the pieces. I think the biggest takeaway for me is I, I need to I need to throw some of those naps back in there, or at I least so. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> at least get uh, at least get you know my my meditation in in the afternoon and and reap some of those benefits. Um, for people that want to stay up to up to speed with what you're working on and, and cool projects that you have coming up. Uh, what are the best places for them to do that? Um, well, the, the, the project for the, the, the fast training system, um, that'll be available on the internet from, from next month onwards. So it'll be a, a way for people to find the, the most efficient training zones to train in so they get the most bang for, the, for your book. It'll be suitable for as an adjunct, let's say, for, for martial artists to, to supplement their skills-based training. This, is, this will be their conditioning training. But it can also be used as a standalone training for, for people who just want to use it as, a, as an efficient, time-efficient and high-yield way to get um, a good level of, of physical conditioning. And where, where can we... Uh, where can we- Get that <laughs> from the Mac Life. The MacLife.com. Yeah, that's where it's at. The Mac Life. Awesome. Any other sites uh, or ways to to stay in in touch with cool things that you've got in the works? Um, for the moment, that's that's just what we have. But I'm sure there will be um, others further down the pipeline. But the first thing is just to get it up and running. So <laughs> yeah. that'll be where it's, it'll be seen first. Yeah. Well, great. Let let me know when that is released. Not only because I, I'd like to pick it up for myself, but I'll huh. uh, I'll share it with our listeners and give them the heads up so the people that yeah. are enjoying this podcast can uh, can can train train with uh, the the world's best. Very good. Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate that. And just so that you know. It, you're the first one to hear about this. So you heard it here on the Anthony De Clementi website. <laughs> well, I, uh, I feel honored and excited. Julian, thank you so much. It's been, it's been great. And um, I look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah. Catch up again soon. Thanks, Anthony. Take care, brother. This episode is brought to you by Bioptimizers. That's bioptimizers.com. And more specifically, there are two products that I use every day, Masszymes and P3OM Probiotics. Masszymes is a medical-grade enzyme formulation that increases your enzyme potential, allowing for optimal protein digestion and absorption necessary for growth. Additionally, the formulation cleanses your GI tract of undigested protein while improving energy and cognitive function, all the while reducing the resources needed for the metabolization of food and less resources being allocated toward the metabolization of food by your body means more energy for you. Masszymes is the strongest proteolytic enzyme formulation on the market today and at 85,000 HUTs it contains more protease per capsule than any other formula. 
P3OM probiotics are a patented probiotic formula developed by one of the world's leading probiotic experts. P3OM uses a patented process to enhance L. plantarum's capacities, resulting in a new super strain that may be the most powerful probiotic developed. This probiotic is designed to help you combat viruses, retroviruses, and super bacteria. I use P3OM and Masszymes every day, along with a number of other probiotic supplements that I cycle, which is an important aspect of getting the best effect from your probiotics. So you never want to take probiotics. You never want to take the same probiotic every single day, and you never want to take the same amount every single day. So I am constantly cycling in different probiotics that I have found to be the most effective, changing up their dosage to keep the body adapting and constantly evolving. So you can save 10% on your first order of P3OM probiotics and masszymes by going to buyoptimizers.com. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com and entering discount code biohacks. That's B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S at checkout. So once again, that's masszymes and P3OM probiotics and you can save 10% on your first order at buyoptimizers.com with discount code biohacks. 